Little Desperandum 2, His Garden, by Edward McDermott. Greetings once again, and thank you for joining us for Nil Desperandum, Issue 2. Born in Toronto, Edward has pursued a professional career during the day while taking writing courses, joining writers' groups, and writing at night. When not writing, he spends his time sailing and fencing and working as a movie extra. Currently, Edward is on his sailboat somewhere off the Florida coast. He has numerous publication credits to his name, most recently, Shuttle Watching for a Sputnik Child, which appeared in the winter 2009 issue of The Broken City. Our narrator is Ken Stofler, host of The Flatus Show. Find his work at www.theflatusshow.com. I was in grade five when I first met Mr. Hamilton. That was the year my father died and my mother had to start working again. That was the year that Mike Todd and his friends decided to make my life unbearable. On that crisp spring day, I could smell the earthworms in the ground and see a fog of green buds surrounding the trees. I thought I'd lost Mike by taking a different street home that afternoon. I didn't count on Mike's persistence. Like dogs after a fox, I could hear them hallooing half a block behind me, so I ran. I was in front of Mr. Hamilton's house when my breath gave out, and Mike was only ten yards behind. I didn't notice the skinny old man kneeling in the earth planting something. Neither did Mike. The older boys caught me. They knocked my books out of my hands and plucked my hat off my head. They tossed it from one to another, laughing and calling me a crybaby. The handle of a rake poked out between the boards of the fencing, tripping Mike and bringing him crashing to the ground. Suddenly the old man was looming over him. "'Seems to me that you must be a coward,' the old man said. "'You need three friends to help you pick on a kid. "'Now scat before I call the school.' Mike and his friends dashed half a block away before they turned around and started shouting dirty words. The old man gave me a hand picking up my books and managed to get my hat down from the branches of a tree with his rake handle. "'There, kid. "'You better not head up the street for a bit. "'They'll be waiting.' You just stay here and rest a bit. With that, he returned to his planting. I watched him work on his moss-green garden, and a strange one it was. No flower beds surrounding a middle of grass. Instead, it looked like a picture of a magical fairy kingdom with a thousand different shades of green. I stepped inside the fence and sat on a bench surrounded by an arbor that would soon burgeon forth rosebuds. When I eventually did leave, Mr. Hamilton waved goodbye without saying a word. That spring I got into the habit of walking by his house. I think Mr. Hamilton made it a habit of working in front of the house about the time I would pass, just in case I needed a hand. Naturally, I would say hello. We moved from there to conversation about the weather and to his garden, his one remaining passion, as he called it. God created the first garden. Cain created the first city, he would say. He showed me the backyard, and we sat under the dwarf Norwegian maple as he gazed into the reflecting pool and watched the koi stare back at us. Although he normally didn't feed them until dusk, he let me dispense a scattering of morsels from my fingers. 
They looked up at my face with fishy longing. A cardinal raised its call as it sat in the top branch of the Japanese spruce, as it hopped from one foot to the other and called out to the world, its bright red feathers contrasted with the deep emerald green of the tree. When my summer holidays started, I visited Mr. Hamilton, offering to do chores. He kept his gardening tools in a shed built in the shape of a Japanese pagoda. He would gravely accept my assistance, provided I listened to his instructions carefully. He needed the help. Sometimes, if he worked too hard, he would turn a sick and sweaty gray and then stop suddenly. Then he might swallow a couple of tablets from a tin he always carried in his pocket. After he recovered, he would laugh and say, Old ticker's not what it should be. Then Mr. Hamilton would walk back to his kitchen, making a pot of green tea. He would sit by the window that overlooked the moss-green garden. He knew the position of every stone and bush in that yard. He told me he had laid them out with two views in mind, sitting by the koi pond and here in the kitchen. His garden grew more than herbs and flowers. It grew contentment and peace of mind. Eventually, he began to pay me every Saturday, saying that a laborer is worthy of his hire, or not to bind the mouth of the man who treads the grain. He'd take his wallet from its hiding place, an old slipper nailed beside the coat closet, and count out my earnings in dollar bills and shiny new coins. My gardening efforts kept me in comics and soft drinks that summer. I remember the day that she moved next door to Mr. Hamilton. The cartage company's van blocked both driveways. A large ramp stretched halfway up the sidewalk, and three heavy-set fellows wheeled out item after item. They brought out a heavy oak Scottish dining room set, a massive armoire, and equally imposing chests of drawers, followed by chairs, tables, bookcases, lamps, and innumerable boxes disgorged from the truck and crammed the bungalow. Mr. Hamilton shook his head in wonder. Surely they can't crowd any more in, can they? That used to be Jack Maxwell's place. Good neighbor. He had moved here a couple years after me. We shared beers over the fence, rakes, fertilizer spreaders, stories about their children's exploits, weddings, and finally funerals. I went to Jack's funeral only a few weeks ago. I should have expected the house would pass to new hands. Still, I don't remember any real estate sign. As the movers worked, a sparrow of a woman hopped around the mass of movers, twittering at them continually, admonishing them to be careful of this piece and that. She flitted among the men as they moved the furniture, almost underfoot, but never stepped upon, directing all three men both inside and outside the house. The next morning I was weeding the front yard by hand, just that way Mr. Hamilton had showed me. That little lady walked up to his door and rang the bell, ignoring me as if I was a garden gnome. She was a petite woman of indeterminate years, barely five foot tall and wearing two-inch heels to stand that tall. I remember the heels because one slipped between the flagstones in the path to the front door and twisted. She used some of the dirty words that Mike Todd liked to shout. Her hair had that look of a home perm with every curl and curve fixed rigidly in place. She looked hard like she was made out of hickory and leather. Yes, Mr. Hamilton said, answering the door. Hello, I'm Agnes May Melisonant. 
I just moved in. I'm your new next-door neighbor, so I thought I'd come over and introduce myself and say hello. I do hope this isn't an inconvenient time. I just moved into the Maxwell place. I was cousin to Jack Maxwell's wife, bless her soul, and I had just moved back out west when Jack passed away, God bless him. The children don't mind me staying in the place and keeping it up for a while, while they straighten out matters. You know how complicated these inheritance things can be, especially when a body is as sloppy as Jack Maxwell's was. Why, I'm surprised he wrote a will at all, such as it was. Didn't even get it updated after poor Lois died, and that was two years ago. The torrent of words washed over Mr. Hamilton. Somehow, Miss Melisonant managed to slip inside the door. She clucked at the dust on the coffee table in the living room, inspected his kitchen, and interrogated him about his life, family, relatives, and livelihood, without ever pausing in her continual chirping for more than a couple of seconds. And this is my garden, Mr. Hamilton said with pride as they stepped out from the kitchen. The morning sun slipped through the trees to make the wood pagoda glimmer under the dark cedars that surrounded it. A granite rock path led from the kitchen door around the koi pond over a wooden bridge toward the pagoda. It wove through the moss-green garden, gradually getting narrower, enhancing the impression of depth and spaciousness. Oh, how sweet, Miss Melisonot said after a second. Such a pretty little house, but where are the flowers? I don't know how you manage to crowd so much into your backyard, but don't you find it a bit dark and overgrown? I'm sure with a little work, we could really brighten it up. In the days that followed, Miss Agnes May Melisonot became a moving force on the street and in the local community. She started a neighborhood watch program and joined the church choir where she took over distributing and collecting the music. She visited all the neighbors, listening to their gossip and gushed advice. Everyone thought Mrs. Melisonot was a perfect addition to the neighborhood. I didn't like her. Cleaners and repairmen tramped into her bungalow. A lawn care company sprayed. Jack Maxwell's fruit trees were mown down. His garden covered with sod, and all trace of the old neighbor was squared away with precision. A border of impatience sprang up in the front yard, and petunias lined the fence in the back. Hello, Mr. Hamilton. I'm so glad that I managed to catch you today. I've tried several times, but you must have been out, for you didn't answer the door. Anyway, that's besides the point. I wanted to talk to you about the old trees at the corner of the property. My gardener mentioned to me that he thinks it might be rotten in the center, and suggests that we take it down before it comes down in a storm. I hope you don't mind, but I told him he could take it down tomorrow, if that's all right with you. Toodle-doo for now. I followed Mr. Hamilton as he walked to the back, where the blue spruce stood nearly 50 feet tall. He walked to the tree, looked up, tapped on its trunk, felt the needles, even pushed on it to see if it moved. Nothing. Eventually, he walked over to her door and rang the doorbell. I tagged along, curious. Why, Mr. Hamilton, what a pleasure. I wasn't expecting visitors, but please do come in. I was just putting on a pot of tea. Please do sit down. Yes, there in the living room. I so love this sofa and chair. They are a little large for the place, but I couldn't bear to part with them. It's almost as if they were part of the family. Just be a second. She slipped out of the room and returned in moments with a teapot, with thick black tea, two cups and saucers, milk, sugar, and digestive biscuits. There. Have a biscuit. 
Usually I bake brownies, but I promised them to the bake sale at the church this Saturday. I've always tried to help at the church, and now that my husband has passed on and the children grown up, I have the time for good deeds. I wish the children would visit more and bring the grandchildren, but they have hectic lives. I tried to teach them to keep a perspective, but the world has its own temptations. Mrs. Melisonant, Mr. Hamilton began. Oh, don't be so formal. We're neighbors. Call me Agnes, like everyone else. Very well, Agnes. I've examined that tree. I don't think there's anything wrong with it. It should be healthy for another fifty years. I would rather you called your gardener and asked him to leave it alone. Well, I don't really know much about gardening, so I rely on my gardener's advice. But if you really insist on leaving it, I'm afraid I do. Now, thank you. Now, if you'll excuse me. Well, I'm sorry. I was only trying to be helpful and neighborly. I wasn't there the next day, but I heard what happened. When Mr. Hamilton heard the sound of the chainsaws the next day, he rushed into the backyard, shouting at the man in the yellow jumpsuit with the heavy ear guards. Stopping at the fence, Mr. Hamilton stared as Agnes watched the gardener carefully lop off all the branches from the blue spruce that hung over her yard. When he looked at her, she smiled. I told them not to cut down the tree, but I still wanted to open up my yard. They said I could cut off all the branches that hung over the fence. Doesn't it look much better already? Mr. Hamilton stared at the remains of the spruce, now a hulking, mishappened apparition. It was too horrible to look at. No tree would be better than this monstrosity. Tell them to cut it all down, Mr. Hamilton said weakly. With the tree gone, the garden was different. Gray, more subdued, smaller, shrunken, cowering. Mr. Hamilton looked different, too. He sat and told me what to do, as if he didn't have the energy for much more. I hadn't realized how perfect the garden had been until it changed. It was as if the grass had grown less green. Still, Mr. Hamilton thought that with the right plantings we could bring back the harmony. Then, Mrs. Agnes May Melisonant started a neighborhood safety campaign. The man on the front step, a beefy, ruddy-faced man in a suit with a shirt collar that was one size too small, looked embarrassed to be there. Excuse me, sir. I'm from the city bylaw enforcement, and I've come to investigate a complaint. How can I help you? If you would, sir, I'd like to inspect your backyard. Mr. Hamilton led the beefy man through to the garden and showed it all to him. Proud of it, Mr. Hamilton gave him a complete tour that lasted almost 20 minutes. Thank you for your cooperation, sir. A lovely garden it is. A man could sit back here and imagine himself in Avalon. Mr. Hamilton smiled at the compliment. However, there is one small problem. Your pond, how deep is it? That deep? I really am sorry. But with a pool that deep, you need a different fence. Why? There's never been a problem. The city raised the standards for fences around pools a few years ago after a couple of boys drowned, slipping into a neighbor's backyard. Your fish pond qualifies as a pool, so you need the proper fence. I'll be sending you a written notice as soon as I get back to my desk, but you should drain your pool immediately. We spent the rest of the day looking for some home for his koi. Eventually, we did find someone through his pet store that was willing to take them. 
Catching the koi and putting them in plastic pails terrified them, and they tried to jump back into the pool. I had to put covers on the pails to keep them in place. The drained pool became a dark, empty, muddy hole. His seat by the pool became a cruel joke. The bridge now crossed the empty stream bed. Without the gurgling water that used to run over the rocks into the pool, the suburban sounds of lawnmowers and leaf blowers intruded. When I asked him what we were going to do, he smiled at me, shrugged his shoulders, and went back inside without another word. That worried me. I went to the library, but they didn't have any books on gardens. Not the books I needed. Not in the children's section. The next morning, Mr. Hamilton had chores he had to do himself. I was happy to run to the store for him, but he told me there were some things I couldn't buy for him. He thanked me and gave me some money and told me to take the afternoon off and go to the movies. As he was leaving, Mrs. Mellisonant called out, Oh, Mr. Hamilton, she said. Oh, Mr. Hamilton, I was worried. I haven't seen you out and about. I've noticed how you like to putter around in the backyard. Is everything all right? They made me empty my pond and turn off my stream, he said in almost a whisper. Oh, well, it's probably for the best. All that water would make your backyard moldy. I think I saw moss growing there, probably rotting the foundations under your house. Besides, we can't be too careful. Accidents do happen. You go off and let me arrange a bit of surprise for you. With that, she darted back inside her house. When I arrived the next morning, I found him in the backyard, holding his head in his hands, looking smaller. Someone had filled the stream bed with impatience. I could see where they had stabbed holes in the liner to plant the flowers. I felt as if someone had thrown a can of paint over a brand new sports car. What do you want me to do, I asked. Pull them all up and throw them over the fence, he said. I smiled and he gave me a sad smile back. Still, as I worked, I kept looking back at him. He took out his pillbox twice that day, and that was while he sat there, not doing any of the work himself. Mrs. Agnes May Melisonot began to drop dark hints to her cronies that her next-door neighbor had a drinking problem, which might explain his erratic behavior. Mr. Hamilton ignored the muttered warnings that other old men passed him over the fence. Instead, he ordered white sand. If he couldn't have his stream and pond, he could put in a sand garden, he told me. After we did that, he wasn't that happy with the results. It just didn't seem to work in his mind, feeling like a clumsy patch rather than an organic solution. I told him to sit in the front yard and enjoy that while I tried to spread the sand better. The next caller sported a salt-and-pepper comb-over of tremendous length that protected his egg-shaped head from the sun. He simply announced himself as the inspector from the city. Mr. Hamilton let the new inspector into the garden and watched him from the kitchen. It was nearly an hour before the inspector returned. Just as I told you, you have several noxious weeds growing in your backyard. What? Let's see. This is poisonous to children and small animals. This one acts as a reservoir for barley rust, so it must be destroyed immediately. But this is a city. That can't be a barley field within ten miles, probably within fifty. I don't make the rules. You have forty-eight hours to remove the weeds, or I'll have to send in city crews to do the job, and then add the charge to your city taxes. Have a good day.
Two days later, true to his word, the inspector returned with his workmen and tore up the offending plants. I wanted to try to stop them, but Mr. Hamilton wouldn't let me. He paid me to the end of the week and told me he wouldn't need my help anymore. I took the money, but I wanted to say that I'd work for free on his garden if he'd give me the chance. They say Mr. Hamilton watched from the kitchen, unable to remove his eyes from the destruction of his one remaining obsession. Tears streamed openly down his cheeks, the bottle of Jack Daniels beside him on the table, a pistol rested beside the bottle. As the workmen from the city hauled away the plants, roughly uprooted, torn, thrown in a dying heap on a flat bed truck, Mr. Hamilton did it. At the funeral, Agnes May sang in the choir. At the cemetery, she tossed impatience she cut from her own garden onto the casket. Afterwards, at her house, she served tea and biscuits with a pound cake she had baked herself. I just don't understand it, she said. I knew he was depressed. I tried to help. I went over and planted some lovely flowers where he could see them from his kitchen, but he tore them out. Then he does that, just when we could have made his backyard ready to become a lovely garden. That fall, Mike Todd and his friends started on me again. That was until I got suspended for putting a rock in a sock and beating Mike Todd so badly he couldn't come to school for a week. Beauty, as they say, is in the eye of the beholder. We see beauty through our own eyes, filtered through our own perception of what is and is not beautiful. It is remarkably difficult to step outside of that filter and appreciate beauty through someone else's eyes. And really, it is impossible to do so. The best any of us can do is to appreciate another's appreciation. So what do you do when confronted with a vision of beauty which you yourself do not share? It would seem easy enough to just pass on by, shrug your shoulders, and move on with whispered platitudes. But there's something about art, something about beauty, which captivates the human spirit, which motivates us to action, even if that action is merely to take notice and comment. The best art is that which elicits strong emotions, be they positive or negative. And those negative reactions, along with the subsequent actions they may bring on, reflect true beauty just as much as does the most effusive praise. Nil Desperandum is a production of the Bear Crawling Nation, released under a Creative Commons attribution, non-commercial, no derivatives license, and is supported by donations from listeners like you. If you liked this story, please go to www.ndstories.com and leave a comment or make a donation. It helps our little garden grow. <laughs>